You know, I saw a term this past week uh, that places like Thompson Orchards fits into. Uh, the, the term is called agritainment or agritourism. And it's this basic idea that some small farms find it challenging to be profitable by just their produce or whatever they, they farm. And so they use their farm less for that produce. And now they begin to use their farm for entertainment farming. That's where city boys like me will pay 10 bucks to come and experience what it's like to be on the farm. Now, I'll say Thompson's Orchard is great. I highly recommend it. if you've got kids or grandkids, take them out to Thompson's. Uh, they've got the corn maze. Uh, they've got uh, tractor rides. Uh, they've got a pumpkin cannon that shoots pumpkins like a uh, long distance. And they've got some pumpkin donuts that are to die for. Amazing. Check it out. But it's one thing. It's one thing for a place to look like a farm or to look like a farmer. And it's another thing to actually be a farmer and produce a product, produce food or whatever it happens to be. In fact, in my own life, I think about my faith, I think about my leadership. I kind of know what it's like to be an entertainment farmer. I kind of know what it's like to kind of look the part of whatever it happens to be, like in leadership. I am knowledgeable enough to know what people look for in a good pastor. They look for a good pastor to be a good communicator, to be sociable, to, to be handsome. They, they, they look for a good pastor to, 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 to be, be caring and, and, and to have their stuff together. And I'll be honest, there's a part of me that can look the part of being a good leader. In our faith, we know what it's like to be a good Christian, right? A good Christian looks apart. They don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't go, go with girls who do, Right? A good Christian is somebody who, who goes to church, who says, God bless you, who, who drops a few, a few dollars in the Salvation Army uh, bell ringers during Christmas time. That's what a good Christian looks like, right? But is that really the faith that Jesus wants to produce in the life of us as believers? In fact, this morning, I invite you to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. See, as I, I look at kind of where we are as a culture and as a church, I think we would all agree that the past season of life has been challenging. We've been dealing with the pandemic. We've had these heated political uh, realm in this season of life. We've got racial tensions. We've got all these things going on. And the reality is the people around us, our culture, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family, they're struggling with fear. This world has put a lot of fear in the society around us. And the question I, I'm wrestling with is, what is the world, what is the people around us, what are they seeing and hearing from the church? And when I say, what are they hearing from the church, I'm not talking about what we do on Sunday morning and the cool things we post on social media. What I'm talking about is you and me and the way that we live our lives. What is the world seeing and hearing from us, from our life, from our character? What is your character telling the world around you? See, I want to start this conversation looking at the fruit of the Spirit to kind of say, what does maturity look like? Because I'll be honest, I think there's a lot of us, we're pretty good at looking the part. 
We're pretty good at doing those Christian things. We go to church. We post on social media with those Bible verses and the -the over-the-top religious jargon. Oh, God bless you. You're so holy. You're so wonderful. We're good at doing those things. But is that really what makes us spiritual? What makes us godly? What makes us mature? See, it's not surprising that Jesus actually spoke about this idea of maturity. In fact, he defines what spiritual people look like. He defines what Christian maturity is. In John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus says, God is glorified when we produce much fruit and therefore prove to be his disciples. See, Jesus just said, maturity is fruit. Maturity is producing fruit. Now, you and I are sitting here saying, well, that's good because I know what fruit we're supposed to produce, right? Here's the thing. We don't get to define what the fruit is. Jesus defines what fruit is. And that's why we were looking in the book of Galatians. Galatians was written by Paul, who happened to be the very first church planter. And he's writing to the church in Galatia, a church that he had planted years before. And he's writing and he's going to describe for us in chapter 5 what fruit is produced out of those who are spiritual, out of those who are mature, out of those who are walking with God. And this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And what happens is when we as, as, as Christians, as people, when we choose to walk in the Spirit, when we choose to walk with God, these are character traits. These are character traits that increasingly become evident in our life. See, godliness and maturity has less to do with the way we look and our outward actions, and it has more to do with our character. So we're going to have an opportunity over the next couple of weeks to, to take this series and, and see what maturity actually looks like and pray together that the Lord will produce these things in our lives. Today, kind of by way of introduction, uh, we're going to see, as Paul says, here's what maturity looks like. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what they look like. We're also going to see the works of the flesh. And we're going to see what the works of the flesh look like. The works of the flesh that we'll be talking about today, these are just sinful actions or sinful attitudes uh, that are a result of you and I living for ourselves, living according to our own wisdom, living, living according to the wisdom of the world, and not really walking with God. And as we see the, the, the works of the flesh evident in our life, It ought to be a way for God to confront us and help us really press in, how closely am I walking with God? So we'll jump in today, Galatians chapter 5. As we look at Galatians 5, I would say that life is a journey. Am I right? Life's a journey. You've got all sorts of twists and turns. And in the beginning of of Galatians chapter 5 or 16, you see Paul describes two different ways to walk through this life. First, he says in in verse 16, he says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit. That is the first way for us to walk through life, is to walk in the Spirit, which means to walk with God. As we talked about last week, this means that we allow God to be our shepherd, that he is our guide. He's a voice that we are following. He's a voice that we are allowing to speak into our life to help us dictate how we make decisions and how we live. And when we walk in the Spirit, 
there are certain characteristics that are increasingly true of us. And this is what we describe as a, as a fruit of the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23. This is where we find the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, faithfulness, and self-control. In fact, in verse 23, after he lists these out, Paul writes and says, and against such there is no law. And what that means is when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit are not things that you and I can manufacture on our own. We can't manufacture these things on our own. We, we might through self-determination, we might be able to be kind to some other people for a season or, or, or exhibit practices of love once in a while. But they're hard to consistently produce because they're not a part of who we are. And then whenever we start facing some trial or some pressure or some difficulty, and it's like those things are far gone removed from us because they're not truly who we are. They, the fruit of the Spirit are fruit. They grow as we, they grow and develop as we walk with God. John Stott, who was uh, probably one of the most godly English theologians of the past century, you know, his godliness wasn't an accident. I read this this week, and this has been my prayer all week, and I would encourage you to make this your prayer over the next couple weeks in this series. John Stott every day would pray, and he'd say, Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you would fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And that's my prayer. God produced these things, ripened these things in my life. So here we say life is a journey. One way for us to walk is to walk in the Spirit. And the other way for us to walk through life is to gratify, uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the other thing he says in verse 16. To gratify the desires of the flesh. In the Bible, when we see the word flesh, it doesn't mean our actual uh, physical bodies. It is shorthand representing our fallen and sinful nature which is our natural tendency to worship ourselves over God. And just as Paul describes, when you walk in the Spirit, here's, the, here's what that looks like, the love, joy, peace. Paul's also going to say, when we walk in the flesh, this is what it looks like. These are called the works of the flesh. Now normally, when we come to a passage like this, where we see a list of things that maybe uh, are true in our lives, sometimes we kind of read quickly and kind of glim over them. We're not going to spend a lot of time looking at those because they're kind of challenging. I'm going to ask you this morning, well, let's take a minute and look at the works of the flesh. Let's ask God, where do I see these things in my life? See, I want to, as we look at this list, I want to, I want to caution you. Because every one of us, inside of us, we have a little defense attorney on the inside of us, do we not? Where, where that defense attorney gets really good at justifying maybe some of our bad habits. We, that, that defense attorney begins to excuse and minimize maybe some of the bad attitudes or actions that we have in our life. And here's, here's how it works. You know, we might, we might raise our voice at somebody. We might raise our voice, and then we excuse it and say, well, well that's just how we were raised as I was growing up. That's just the way, that's just who I am. Maybe we get mad at somebody and we lash out in anger and we'll say, well, well, well they deserved it. It's not my fault. They, they, they provoked me. It's, it's their fault. We excuse it. Other times, we, uh, we minimize our sin. Or maybe we're like, 
hey, you know, we drop a bad word, whatever word that happens to be for you. We're like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a bad word. There are a lot worse people out there. At least I'm not doing some of the stuff like other people do, right? See, we have this defense attorney inside of us that, by the way, is paid by Satan who gets really good at helping us to justify and excuse and minimize our sin. But here's the thing. Sin is not something to be toyed with. Sin is not something to be toyed with. In fact, Paul has a very stark warning in this text. He says in verse 21, he says, those who do such things, those who walk in the flesh, those whose life is characterized by the works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like, that is a stark warning for us to see. Sin is not something to be toyed with. That when we look at this list, and if we look at our life and say, man, my life is characterized by so many of these things, that might just be, no matter how good we are at looking the part, I'm a good Christian, no matter how good we are at looking the part, it might just reveal that we don't actually have a personal relationship with God. And we certainly are not walking in step with Him and in His Spirit. So as we look at this list of the works in the flesh, what I'm going to ask you to do this morning, I'm going to ask you to silence that defense attorney inside of you. Silence him. And honestly ask just God to reveal to you where you see the works of the flesh in your life. Start verse 19. The first work of the flesh, sexual immorality. Now we read that. We get that, right? Like that's a kind of thing. That is uh, sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That makes sense. But Paul's going to take that idea and take it a little bit further with the next two works of the flesh. Impurity and sensuality. This is where it gets a little bit more personal. It's not just that physical act. This gets into pornography. This gets into daydreaming about being with another person. This gets into romance novels and movies that we watch. Just a little bit more personable, maybe a little bit more on our toes. Verse 20, two more works of the flesh, idolatry and sorcery. Now we hear those and we're like, phew, like I, I got those two. I'm not, I'm not a witch. Like I'm pretty good on that. Actually, both of those represent a improper worship of God. Idolatry? Idolatry is simply when we worship something else above God. And we expect, it to, we expect it to satisfy us, to make things right in our life. This could be uh, money or a relationship or, or a job or power or sex or, or recognition or any number of things that we would say, man, I want this. This is going to make my life right. We begin to worship that above God. That's idolatry. Sorcery is simply when we try and manipulate God. Well, God, if you know, I did this for you, I did this for you, you need to do this for me. In fact, I would caution you, be very careful. Be very careful to have a conversation with somebody and say, you know, God told me this. Be very careful speaking on behalf of God, especially if it's being used for our own gain. All right, that's five. Paul's going to take the works of the flesh and they're going to squeeze just a little bit tighter on us here. The sixth one is enmity. 
which means hatred. Let me ask you this. Do you have somebody that you hold a grudge against? Do you have somebody in your heart that you have some hostility to? Think about it. Think about the person who hurt you. Think about the person who violated you. Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's a parent. I know we've got a defense attorney who wants to say, objection, objection, they hurt me. They cause pain in my life. Listen, Paul is saying the works of the flesh is hatred. Don't minimize it. Let's call it for what it is. Strife. This means contention. Are you a person who is just quarrelsome? You always find yourself in an argument. Let me argue about this. Let me argue about that. That's strife. That is walking in the flesh. Next one, he says, is jealousy. We kind of get what jealousy is, but this also includes despising other people because of their achievements or their blessings. He's getting a little closer to home for some of us in here today. He goes further. He says, fits of anger. Let me ask you this. What's your trigger for anger? Like, what is the thing that triggers you that you get angry? Is it when somebody cuts you off when you're driving? Is it that bad habit, you know, somebody who, who uh, eats with their mouth wide open, does whatever it happens to be? Is it when someone is rude to you that you feel a need to, to lash out in response? See, we would say, well, well my anger is okay because, because I got triggered. Listen, Scripture doesn't categorize our, 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 our lashing out in anger. It is simply a sin. Then he goes further and he adds three that I'm going to loop together. Rivalries, dissension, and divisions. What is the greatest commandment? Remember some Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, here's the greatest commandment. Number one, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, it's to love people as yourself. This is what the church should be known for. This is what the people of God should be known for, how we love God and how we love other people. You know, this past year, how much dissension and division have been created because of our politics, because of the pandemic. As Christians in the church, how much discord have we created with one another? Because we are walking in the flesh. We're walking according to our own thoughts and feelings and opinions instead of walking in the Spirit. Now, I know, I know this is where for me my defense attorney stands up and says, Objection! Objection! I can justify every, every attitude I've had with Scripture. I had a pastor friend a couple weeks ago, and he said something that I thought was so powerful. He said, knowledge, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of scripture, a little bit, of, we all have a little bit of it. Knowledge plus desire equals a justification for calling idolatry Christian freedom. See, I think you could replace idolatry with division, 
ascension? Where we've got a little bit of knowledge and we've got a desire, we put those things together and it gives us the freedom to call our division, our dissension, our Christian freedom. See, this doesn't mean that we can't disagree, but it's how we speak to and how we speak about those whom we disagree. In fact, this past week, someone asked me, hey, you're a pastor. What am I supposed to do with these vaccine mandates? What do I do with this? I'm like, hey, here's the thing. You are free to disagree with the vaccine mandate. But I would encourage you as a Christian to watch how you talk about Governor Inslee and about President Trump or President Biden. And I say this, watch how you talk about former President Trump because your words are a window into your heart. And the way that we speak about these people reveals what's going on inside of us. Your words matter. How you speak about these people matter. Do not allow your words to further create dissension and division amongst the people of God. That doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but it's how we talk to one another, how we talk about people. Paul has two more to the list of works of the flesh. He he says drunkenness and orgies. I'm tying these two together because they're less about specific actions and more about an attitude. An an attitude of giving ourselves over to these things. We lose control of ourselves and we give ourselves over to whatever it might be, alcohol or sex or food or social media or, or whatever it happens to be. It's about us losing control, no longer being in control of ourselves because we're consumed with whatever it happens to be. These are the works of the flesh. In fact, I love this. Paul, in case he missed something, he concludes that and says, and says, and things like these, which means this is not a comprehensive list. There might be a few more things that you and I could probably add to this list as being a work of the flesh. I don't know about you, but I'll speak for me. That list kind of sucks. That list, I'm like, ouch. My toes are hurting. I feel my toes being stepped on. Now, and I'll, as I read through this list, as, as I'm trying to consider my own life, my defense attorney stood up. Objection! Objection, Your Honor! I mean, yeah, Kevin may have some of these things sometimes in his life, but look at all the good that Kevin does. Like, Kevin is such a good guy. His good far outweighs his bad. He, he's all right. Anybody else feel that? But that's not the way it works. Because look what Paul says in verse 17. Verse 17, Paul says, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other, keeping you from doing the things that you want. See, what Paul said is it's not possible for us to walk in the spirit. It's not possible for us to walk with God while also walking and giving into the flesh. These two things cannot coexist. In fact, Jesus had a half-brother by the name of James. And James wrote in James chapter 4, he said, "Uh, you cannot be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time. See, as we're on this journey of life and we've got our twists and turns, we can't walk in the spirit while also walking in the flesh. Those two things, they cannot coexist together. And what what I want for us what I want for myself and what I want for us as a church 
is that perhaps today we'd be confronted with sin that for the longest time we minimize, we excuse, we justify, all the while failing to recognize that we are walking in the flesh. And while we're doing that, let's recognize that the world around us, and they're struggling, they're afraid, and they're looking for answers. They're not looking for our Christian platitudes. They're not looking for our little Jesus symbol on the back of our car to make their life better. They're not looking for outward actions when we as Christians actually lack godly character. Stuart Payne was a, was a golfer in the 1990s. He was a crazy guy. He wore those crazy pants. If you saw, you, you can picture that, one of those crazy guys. He died from a plane crash in 1999. While he was alive, though, on playing in the PGA Tour, he was known as being a bit of a hothead. He had a short temper. So he would lash out at reporters. He'd lash out at spectators. And because he was such a good golfer, and because he was flamboyant in his character, uh, the PGA Tour said, we need to do something to, to change him, to make him a better person. And so they, they put him in counseling, and they put him in a public relations class trying to help improve this anger problem. And all those things had very little success in his character. Stuart Payne, in the last year of his life, something changed. People began to notice, man, he's different. See, at that point of his life, he had placed his faith in Jesus. And he had made a decision, I'm going I'm to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to allow God to be my shepherd. I'm going to allow him to be my guide. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to obey him. In fact, he would wear one of those old WWJD bracelets. I don't think we have those anymore, but he wore a WWJD bracelet to remind him, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. And as he did that, it began to impact the people around him because the Holy Spirit began producing the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And the fruit of the Spirit began replacing the works of the flesh. That is what I want for us. Because our community around us, our neighborhoods, our friends, our families, our co-workers, that's what they need. Not us looking the part of being a Christian, but us having a character that is supernaturally redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what the world needs from the church. See, what I want you to walk away with today I want us, as we begin this series on the fruit of the Spirit, I want us to be absolutely certain and understand the maturity and godliness cannot coexist with the works of the flesh. We cannot walk with God while trying to, to walk in the flesh. Let's not fool ourselves here. These two things cannot coexist. That is why today we are starting with the works of the flesh. Because I'm going to guess that there are many of you that are like me, where you hear that list and you realize a lot of those things are probably too evident in our lives. Despite how good we are at looking the part, there's probably much more of the works of the flesh in our life than we'd like to admit. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do about this? Listen, what I don't want you to hear 
over the next couple of weeks as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I don't want you to hear that there's a bunch of things you need to stop doing and a bunch of things you need to start doing. I don't want you to hear, oh, all these works of the flesh, I need to just work really hard to stop doing those things. And the fruit of the Spirit, I need to work really hard to start doing. I don't want you to hear that. That is not what we're talking about. That is religion. That is a weight that is unbearable for every one of us listening today. I don't want you to hear, you've got to go and do this on your own. I want you to hear the secret to us living in the fruit of the Spirit and to no longer gratify the works of the flesh because the secret's down in this text. The first thing he said, the first secret, is that we have to go all in on our faith. This is what he said in verse 24. He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It means we need to go all in on our faith, be willing to go to war against sin. See, we already said, we already said that, that uh, the, spirit, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, they cannot coexist. We've already said that, that they're warring against each other. And so for some of us, we're sitting here and our faith is just like one more thing that we're adding into our life. You know, I've got all these things going for me, all these things I'm, I'm pursuing to, to make me happy. I've got my job's going to make me happy. My relationship's going to make me happy. My job's going to make me happy. That people like me, that makes me happy. And I'll add a little bit of Jesus too to kind of put icing on the cake. No, that's not the way it works. We have to be willing to go all in in our faith. Go to war against sin in our life. That we stop excusing stuff. We stop minimizing it. We have to be willing to go all in for our faith. And the second secret to the fruit of the Spirit, and in fact, this is a key to the whole, the whole series. Paul says to walk in the Spirit. He says it three times in this text. Verse 16, to walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, to live by the Spirit. See, it's when we are walking in the Spirit, when we are living by the Spirit of God, that is when the works of the flesh are defeated in our lives and that we begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The key to this is not to stop doing this and start doing that. The key is simply to walk in the Spirit of God. Jesus described this idea a little bit differently. Paul says to walk by the Spirit. Jesus in John chapter 15 said this. Jesus said, I am the vine. Now, I am a city boy, so I've never grown a vineyard. I did do a wedding in one. Adam and Alex, that was a great wedding. But I'm a city boy. I've never grown a vineyard. But what I do know about a vineyard is the vine is what's connected to the roots. The vine is connected to the roots, and the roots is where all the nutrients come from, the power comes from, and it comes up through the roots into the vine, and the vine then sends it out to the branches that produce the fruit. So Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and fruit comes when you abide in me in me. Not when you try to be a better person. Not when you try to look the part. Not when you try to do these things. No, when you abide in me. See, every other religion, every other religion tells you what to do. You've got to do these things to be better. You've got to try to be a better person. And if you do enough, then you're good enough, then maybe God will love you. And maybe God will be your friend. 
But Christianity is totally different. Jesus went to incredible depths to accomplish what makes us right with God. Jesus went to the cross. He took our sins upon himself. He took on our works of the flesh. Every time that we had some of that animosity, every time we had some of that division, that dissension, every time we had any of those things, he took that upon himself and he gave his life for it. He was buried and he rose again on the third day so that it is his accomplishment that makes us right with God, not our own. It's about us abiding in what he's done, not what we have done. In Christianity, the work has been done. The work has been done. It's not about us trying harder. It's not about us, 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 us looking the part. Jesus said simply, abide in me. Uh, abide in what I've done for you. Stop trying to look the part. Stop trying so hard to, to, to be good enough. Just abide. And as we abide, which means as we, we love him, as we trust him, as we cling to him, as we cling to him, he pumps the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives that changes us. And he pumps the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives that heals our brokenness. And he pumps the power of the Holy Spirit to redeem the rough parts of our character. See, simply to walk in the Spirit simply means that we abide in him. That we abide in what he's done. We abide in the fact that because of what he's done, that you and I can be called a child of God. That we can become a new creation. That we can be freed from sin and Satan and death and hell. And that is where the fruit of the Spirit is produced. By us clinging to Jesus. Abiding in what he's done for us. That my friends, is when maturity and godly spirituality is found in abiding in him. Let's think of a way to give us a picture of what that looks like as we close today. A couple of weeks ago, I read a book about the, the Thai soccer team 19, uh, in 2018 that got trapped in that cave underwater for like 18 days a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember that story. And that story, there were 12 boys on the soccer team, ages 11 through 16, that decided after practice one day to go explore this cave. And it was a month before the rainy season, but the rains came early. So they got into this cave, the water started rising, and it started filling up the cave. And they had to go further and further and further into the cave to avoid drowning in the water. Those boys were stuck in that cave, and, and the Thai officials, all the Thai rescue people are trying to figure out, how do we rescue them? And it was too big of a problem. They couldn't figure out how to rescue those boys. The water was too dirty. It was too deep. The cave was too long. There was no way for them to go and find those boys and rescue them. So they had to call uh, the world's best underwater cave explorers. Who knew that was a thing, right? They called the world's best underwater cave explorers. I'd love to get that job title. That just sounds cool. And these guys come in. And they figure it out, and they're like, all right, we're going we're, we're gonna to dive. It's, it's a four-hour dive in this cave. Think about, like, diving underwater with masks and oxygen tanks and all those things. Four hours, they, they, they swim through this cave and finally reach the boys. They're assessing this whole situation. And they're like, the, the, the length of this cave, uh, the fact that the water is murky, 
the fact that these boys are going to have to wear a dive mask for four hours, the fact that these boys have no experience in diving, there's no way that these boys can dive out on their own and survive. There's no way that they're going to survive. They determined the only way for the boys to get out was the boys would have to surrender. They'd have to yield and trust and cling to rescuers who were more trained, more experienced, stronger, and had the ability to swim these boys out of the cave. The boys in their own strength, they didn't have the experience or the ability. They'd probably freak out in the middle of the thing. It would have been a sure death if those boys tried to swim out on their own. The solution was simply to have these boys cling, or I might say abide, in the rescuers. And that is true for us as well. As we cling to Jesus, as we cling to what he's done for us, as we walk in the Spirit, that becomes the fuel for our life to experience the power of the Holy Spirit to experience the power of the Holy Spirit to heal our brokenness, to redeem our rough spots, to allow the fruit of the Spirit to increasingly become transparent and present in our life. And you know what? It's when we allow God to do that in us that that speaks volumes to the world around us that is hurting and looking for answers. That we can say, hey, most situations, man, this happened to me, I'd be losing it. I'd be angry. I'd be frustrated. But because I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me, because God is, is changing me, I can be at peace in situations I wouldn't be. That I can still have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But no one would expect it. And, it was that, and that is when the world says, you know what? Yeah, I think Jesus has something here. If he can take a person like Kevin and change him and redeem those broken parts and remove those works of the flesh, now allow him to be categorized by these new things. Wow, I want some of that.